0: In a world where jobs are how most people make money, one man, one desire, one challenge,
1: dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work
0: for money, money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion advised.
1: Bill Manasero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manasero, and this is a show where 50 Plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid no-sales pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays. And if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs, spelled D-A-W-G-S find our podcast, and subscribe. Well, I am really stoked about today's guest. This is going to be awesome. Um, Not only is she just an amazing real estate investor and person, but uh, she happens to come from Haiti. And as you guys know, um, that's where our family lived for uh, 12 years of our lives. And uh, we have a, a major heart for that. Beautiful country and the beautiful people that live there. So, um, I am really, really excited uh, to introduce to you Rachel Gainsbrew. And Rachel has, was born in Haiti with a drive to make a difference and not take her parents' sacrifices for granted. She was raised in Miami, Florida, worked hard, became a doctor, and was left with over five hundred thousand in student loans. Yikes! So she grinded hard to pay off her loans. When she discovered Airbnb investing, it became a game changer for her as she was able to make 15 times on short-term rentals over long-term rentals. She's going to talk to us about how she did that. Um, now she's a healthcare professional, actually uh, actually retiring soon here, or maybe already retired officially. Uh, she's going to tell us about that too. Um, and a uh, real estate investor as well. She's the owner and manager of 8 luxury short-term rentals with a lucrative cash-flowing rental portfolio. And if that's not enough, she's also a mom, wife, and real estate coach that was recently featured on a Netflix TV show showcasing one of her luxury rentals. Rachel is passionate about helping professionals create a life they don't need a vacation from through Airbnb investing. Well, Rachel, welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network.
0: Oh, my goodness, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. I just can't tell you how honored I am to be here with you. And I know it takes a lot of time and energy to put together this content to your audience. So I'm so, so grateful to be here. And I hope they're inviting their friends to listen in because Everyone needs to hear this stuff, right? If I knew about real estate investing back when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would have been further along. So thank you, thank you, Bill.
1: Uh, well it is my pleasure and honor to have you on um, you have really just uh, crushed it here in terms of uh, you know uh, moving into airbnb i uh, we were talking off air and I was talking about how I'd been in it but it wasn't it wasn't luxury by any means and uh, the fact that you found this this amazing niche that is uh, doing so well you know for you and your family and uh, it's just it's really exciting and the challenge of having working full time to get all this off the ground. I'm dying to hear the story. Now, you're not really an old dog. Okay. Make that real clear here. Okay. I know it sounds real derogatory here, but I you're, you're a young pup still. So, um, you know, I think we can still learn though from you young pups, you know, that uh, us old dogs. So um, I am just uh, very, very interested in hearing your story. Um, I, I know you uh, were born in Haiti um, and then kind of take us from there. Or maybe, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about that and how you yeah yeah so let's go (laughs) let's do it okay
0: absolutely so bill you read it off beautifully so raised in miami uh one Two things, actually, my parents really instilled in me, it was having faith, having a strong faith background and uh, education. So education was my path to freedom, uh, according to how I was raised. And so I really took that seriously. Um, I understood the gravity of the situation in Haiti and how the opportunity I was given, I did not want to take it for granted. And so I really worked hard to excel in education. So I wouldn't say I'm a natural born talent or anything like that academically, but I really worked hard to do well. And so undergrad was paid off, you know, with, um, scholarships, but once I hit graduate school, there weren't really, uh, too many scholarships, if any at all. And so that's where we, uh, accumulated our debt, both my husband and I, he's a psychotherapist retired as well. He retired earlier than me last year. And so once, um, we graduated though, uh, not having a strong financial literacy background because there wasn't a lot of finances to, I guess, literate around. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good line. I love that. <laughs> I don't know
0: if that's the word,
1: but yeah,
0: there wasn't a lot of financial literacy. I I did know you pay your tithe and. You, you know, you kind of manage and you lived off of the rest because there, there was not much, you know, margin uh, or anything left over. And so there was no strategy. We didn't sit around a table brokering deals or anything like that. We didn't take family vacations. It was church on Sundays and Wednesdays and Fridays and go to school the rest of the time. And that was pretty much it. That was my life. And honestly, it was a wonderful life. I didn't see anything wrong with it at all. But again, that financial literacy uh, component was missing. And so once I graduated from uh, grad school, I was, completed my residency. Uh, residency, I was paid, I came from getting paid $0 an hour as a student, interning to $15 an hour. And I was thinking to myself, Whoa, look at all this money, (laughs) $15 an hour. That was huge. And then residency, I think it was like $28,000 a year, you know? And so my husband and I, we lived off of that. And he had an internship type of job making about the same $28,000 a year at a psychiatric practice. And um, but once we got our big boy and big girl jobs, it was in the six figures. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely amazing. But the student loans completely annihilated that um, quickly uh, because initially you would have thought that we would get, you know, laser focused, pay that off and then, um, you know, start moving on with a strategy. But the first thing I did was, Let's build a house and let's get a car and let's get several cars and high-end this. And so for the first time, I thought, we're going to live our best lives ever. And whoa, fell into that trap. And and it, it is... it it was quite tragic, I got to say, initially. And so we found programs, Getting Out of Debt, Dave Ramsey, Debt Snowball, and we really went all in on uh, that strategy. And really, I know as controversial as it may be, it really helped us to get a handle on a budget and a handle on getting out of debt. And that's really um, the beginning of the story At, at some points, you know, when you're under crushing student loan debt, it sometimes feels as though you know you're you're done. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is going to be the death of me. We worked multiple overnight shifts at multiple institutions in order to kind of grind it out and make additional income to, to pay it off. And we were able to accomplish that. And after that, we decided, okay, we need to do something that is going to kind of exponentially accelerate our our savings, because at that point, we, we really didn't have any savings for kids' college or or any of those things. And so we looked around. Uh, at that time, uh, I want to say Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was coming to the forefront. We're like, oh, that, that looks really interesting. But just not understanding what it was and how to do it, we said, you know what? Let's stick to real estate. We can see a house and touch a house. I mean, it felt real because it's real and real estate, hint, hint, right? (laughs) And so we we definitely went the real estate route and explored different strategies, but we found short-term rentals and we really haven't looked back since then.
1: Wow. Wow. That's a Amazing story. I just, uh, just the thought of that uh, huge weight on you though with the student loans. I mean, that's, uh, and some people, I mean, they get up to, you know, even my age and they're still paying them, you know. I mean, it just, it can be just such a, uh, just such a burden, but uh, uh, that was, that was smart how you you tackled it and, uh, and moved head in there. Now, now you didn't just get into real estate. I mean, you, you, you've kind of found a niche there there too. So I'd, I'd like to hear, you know, how did you first get into real estate? Did you just, uh, you know, become, you know, just buy a rental property and and start from that? Or did you immediately go into the other direction?
0: Well, that's why I, I thank you in the very beginning, uh, Bill, because the amount of content and education you're putting out there is so important. And I I literally listened to about two years worth of content on podcasts on real estate investing, and I consumed that information, and really allowed that information to, to challenge my mindset in multiple ways, open my mind to different uh, strategies. I was learning about everything from um, syndications, wholesaling, industrial, commercial real estate, short term rentals, and so uh, being again the little girl from Haiti, I'm going to be very frugal, as frugal as I, as I can be, I was thinking to myself, okay, what is the lowest cost of entry to enter into real estate? And, you know, again, marketing marketing works, right? I was like, oh, great, wholesaling, that sounds easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> While working full time, huh? Right. Oh, man. Okay. Right.
0: And so quickly, you know, I, I what was great is I actually did an activity where I Uh, added all the pros and cons on one column of the different strategies and I was looking at wholesaling. In reality, you know, those who were, were willing to be honest with me, the time commitment was a huge barrier, yes. you know, and you read my bio, I'm a, a wife, I've got a whole husband, two kids, three dogs, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: all the things. And I said, okay, to myself, okay, there's no way that that's going to be a good fit for me. You know, and I know there are people who have learned how to automate it through virtual assistants and, right. and they have that set, and that comes through experience. And so- I wasn't there yet, so you know, just watching my HDTVs, The next obvious things. Oh yeah, absolutely, fix and flip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Flipping to the channel, having to. <laughs> <That was crazy.
0: laughs> By the end of the episode, they just made eighty thousand
1: dollars. Isn't that amazing? And just like you know, forty minutes, it's like they can transform a house. It just. <laughs> <laughs> make tons of money. It looks so easy.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. So that was thesis number two. So I went deep and investigated and and spoke with actual fix and flippers to get the real picture. And just that whole project management piece, you're managing multiple vendors, multiple, (laughs) you know, I said, okay, that is another time commitment. And not having the skill set and the resources for that, you know, probably not a good, good idea. But around that time, I was contacted by Um, a gentleman who I learned at at that time, around that time, he was a wholesaler. He sent me a property, this property. Oh my gosh. It was gorgeous. Three bedrooms. The sun was glimmering on the right side of the house. There was just, I mean, a little waterfall type of scene. I mean, this house was absolutely gorgeous in the photos. So, and- at only $18,000 what can go wrong right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a deal like the deal of my dreams though so we drove out from Georgia I'm in Georgia we drove to Alabama and I was thinking to myself oh my goodness this is our big break this is like just dreamy." of my husband of course <laughs> I call him my ride or die he just comes along with me he's like are you sure about this this doesn't seem right <laughs> he thinks that can be gullible sometimes <laughs> for a smart woman you kind of <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah this is fantastic and we're i'm speaking to the homeowner along the way yeah come on sugar and i'm coming i said like, i'm coming so i get there bill and i kid you not he's heading to knock on the door half of this roof is caved in oh The goodness. there was caulking seeping on every edge like it almost looked like glue just like the are trying to glue it together off. right <laughs> <Just> literally, <laughs> literally glued together and i'm calling reaching out to my husband don't go don't knock on the door he goes we drove all the way here two two hours two and a half hours I was like no and so we drive our way back home bill and that, that was the moment although i was thinking about the you know joining the we buy ugly houses crowd to do fix and flips i said you know what for my lifestyle and my skill set you know i could paint a little bit not that great so my, for my lifestyle and my skill set i'm probably going to be more of a we buy pretty houses investor more so than the we buy ugly houses <laughs> investor <laughs>
1: that was smart we
0: did not invest in a lot of um but we realized okay we need to invest in something that it's going to make sense for us a little bit more towards the turnkey side and um and and that's what we did a couple of weeks later, we got an alert, and it was from the ML- MLS, honestly, uh, from Zillow, that there was a property within, I would say, a uh, one-minute drive from our neighborhood, walking distance.
1: No way. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: That was on sale for $100,000 lower than I knew it was worth. The owner had passed away. The trustee, uh, the son lived out of state and just wanted to offload it. And the realtor was not very familiar with the market. And I had been, I'm a spreadsheets girl. I had dissected all of the markets in my surrounding area. Awesome. And so I came in, investors came in from other areas, but I came in and offered the asking price with no contingencies, no nothing. Others were asking for several things. I had seven other investors ahead of me, but I got the deal because I knew you know, what that property was worth and I wasn't gonna ask for anything because at that point with uh, $100,000 worth of equity, um, I was thinking, I looked at it, I drove by, I so, said, okay, the roof you know, doesn't look the greatest, but higher cost of living area, beautiful area, A plus schools. Um, and I had read in a book and this is one of the books that I'll share a little bit later on, but the book on rental property investing, Mm -hmm. I had read where, you know, a roof would cost X, Y, Z number of dollars to replace. So I had that in the back of my mind and then I subtracted that from the equity and I subtracted, you know, some other, uh, cosmetic things from the equity. And I realized, okay, this is still a great deal. And, and we won, uh, we purchased that home. Uh, I found uh, an estate. Uh, the owner had a professional designer design the home, but she was moving to a one-bedroom condo, beachfront, from this five-bedroom, beautiful home. And we purchased everything. We told her, close the door on this estate, so we will buy everything. So for fifteen thousand dollars, we furnished a four-bedroom home with wow. designer everything because someone changed their mind about their living situation, and it was newly designed, very modern, and so it was a deal. And and that's how we that's how we started with this property.
1: Oh, neat, neat. Now you're, were you renting them out then? Just to, the traditional way to start?
0: Absolutely not. Again, I said I I was a spreadsheets girl. So when I looked at long-term rental bill, I I thought to myself, okay, so with this three hundred dollar of. Um, net mm-hmm. profits per month if that
1: yeah i was gonna say that's probably good <laughs> you know, for long-term <laughs> <That's> good. rental. <laughs>
0: i said it's gonna take me forever to retire <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's i mean you know you have a hot water heater go out that eats into that real quick right oh, and so yeah. you know was, yeah i was not it, it was not something that really excited me long-term rentals so we found short-term rentals. We thought, you know, the numbers look great. This type of property would be a great short-term rental. But when I did the analysis and I used different tools such as AirDNA, um, and I actually used the native Airbnb tool uh, as well as Verbo. When I did the analysis on properties that were, I would say standard properties versus luxury, the luxury properties outperformed significantly. And so, from the very beginning, my mindset was to focus on luxury. Do whatever I can to identify, understand really what that luxury stay looks like, and focus on properties that I could curate that luxury stay.
1: Awesome. Now you're are you in the Atlanta area? Did you say?
0: Yeah. So thirty minutes south of Atlanta in a suburban area.
1: And so are, are these fairly close to where you live, or do you have some you know some that are further away?
0: Yeah, I have a handful. Four of them are fairly close to where I live. We have a portfolio as well. Now I'll, I'll let you know a little bit about how we grew it in the Poconos, um, in the Smokies, wow. and we we have two new constructions in Florida on the Panhandle.
1: Neat, neat, and okay. So it, you know, with, and just like just for our listeners that may not be familiar with Airbnb, um, looking at you know just sort of a. Uh, you, you know, you're you're renting homes. These are all homes for the most part. Or do you also have condos or um, apartments?
0: Personally, I have single-family homes.
1: Okay, they're all single-family homes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're saying luxury, so you might yeah. want to help define, like, um, you know, what what that what that really. Means, you know, for the average person listening, and and also, and and what would be like the a difference in a daily rate on a, you know one of your homes as compared to uh, just a, another you know regular middle class home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll start with a ten thousand foot view. So when it comes to the daily rate for a luxury versus a standard standard short term rental or standard Airbnb can be anywhere from you're renting out a room, you know, at a place, at someone's home. A room rental can be anywhere from $50 a night, $75 a night, $30 a night, even I've seen that. So that's a room rental. Something like that would never... Um, Ever <laughs> um, pass for a luxury rental, of course. Uh, so, when it comes to luxury, when we're looking at the price point, typically, depending on the season and de- depending on the market, right, it can be anywhere from, say, $600 a night to about $2,800 a night, I would say in the US. Uh, but, you know, it can definitely be uh, no ceiling depending on if you're in Hawaii or California or uh, overseas, uh, there could be no ceiling to that nightly rate. But if it's you know under $100, for sure, it would not be a luxury stay. Uh, typically, it would be above $500 a night. Uh, in the Southeast, where things are a little bit more cost-effective, uh, $500 a night In California, for instance, may not (laughs) may not be luxury. So that's that. I want to give the perspective that the regions really do matter. Right. Um, Okay. So so keep that in mind. So when it comes to luxury, especially modern luxury travel, there is a difference in traditional luxury. So traditional luxury. You know things that perhaps my parents and grands would appreciate. It's gold plated this or gold plated um, countertops, or you know all of the razzmatazz. But when it comes to modern luxury, it's curating a stay that. Can facilitate connections, so individuals want to reconnect with one another. Families coming together to reconnect. Uh, individuals want to connect with nature. So you have a if you have a phenomenal space where you can facilitate great hiking, great adventures. You can definitely curate a luxury stay, and and convenience is a big part of it as well. So you want to set up a property where there. Uh, Check in and check out is super easy and super convenient. Nothing uh, dings luxury like slow Wi Fi, inconvenient check in, and so on and so forth. Another uh, big factor of it, honestly, is communications. So when it comes to communications, that is the very um, beginning of that luxury journey. And the communication starts, of course, with the guests identifying the listing as, you know what, this is a listing that I would be interested in uh, taking a peek at. So the photos should definitely be professional photos. And as soon as that inquiry is, is put out there, the guest is asking about the space, You know, the conversation should be very attentive and, and very open and, and, uh, value driven. And so those are parts of what would curate more so of a luxury stay as far as the granularity. But when I'm looking at a property, again, you're looking at a property in a, um, uh, a neighborhood or a resort community that has great curb appeal. It doesn't have to have all the things, but what would preclude a property from a luxury property is definitely a a neighborhood that does not have a lot of curb appeal. There are Vehicles, say on the lawn being worked on or on cinder blocks. Yeah, there's no way to really leverage that property as a luxury property. I hope that gives you a
1: little bit of insight. No, that's excellent, excellent explanation. You mentioned and emphasized too the, the, the customer service aspect of that, the, yes. the, the contact and the communication. Um, now mm-hmm. did you do that or do you still do that, you know, directly or do you um, um offload that uh to a outside service or outside people?
0: Yeah, so I personally do not do that. I actually offloaded to an inside service. So I trained virtual my own virtual assistants to take over, take over that. But I did do it to start. I'm I'm a hands-on gal. I'm very type A. Mm-hmm. I do have control issues sometimes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I was the CEO and cleaning lady. Bill. I
1: <laughs> oh, I bet you uh, looking at you know the cleaning <laughs> jobs, you'd probably be uh yeah uh, you know, I'm sure really uh, on that because uh, that's huge. You know, somebody comes in and and there's even like a hair in the sink or something like that, uh, people can mm-hmm. get really upset, you know. Um, so I know that the cleaning aspect is, is really key, especially in a luxury. Um,
0: oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So the standards are, are even more uh, stringent when it comes to luxury, for sure.
1: Oh, that's neat. Wow. Well, this, uh, this is really great. And, and, and it's interesting, too, just to hearing how on the first couple that you also... You know, bought deals. I mean, you you sought out a deal, you know, so that you actually Mm -hmm. went into it uh, buying something a little under market, um, Mm -hmm. which immediately, you know, adds value. And um, uh, over the long term, you know, it can be significant. So were you able to do that as you started to move into other properties as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there was another property. The next property actually was a another single family home, a little bit of a larger footprint, actually double the size, larger footprint. And I started to gain my stride in the five to eight bedroom range. And here's why, Bill. My guest avatar is multi-generational, multi-families traveling with children and pets. Uh, that is my sweet spot and that is where we drive the, the most revenue. So for instance if a single gal and you know her husband or a single couple, a couple and you know a small family two little kids, uh, if they're traveling and the price point that we would demand on them will be quite high on a, a, one of these larger homes, but when you look at the demographic of this avatar, you have me, my husband, my mom and dad, my siblings, their spouses, my husband's siblings, their spouses, you have about five or six adult family units.
1: Right, right. That's Paying,
0: not... <laughs> paying family units. Right?
1: right. And it's not so bad for them, too, you know, because after everybody splits up their share, you know, it's, uh, you know, that it's, it. It's more affordable for them, I would imagine too. But uh um, that that makes a, a big difference. That's that's true. That's a that's a real good point.
0: Exactly. And that's how I split the you know, you split the risk amongst eight families or six families or five families at eighteen hundred dollar a night uh stay or twenty-five hundred dollar, you know, a night stay in peak seasons, it's gonna be like eighteen hundred dollars for the whole seven days if you split it, right? So right. not too bad. And it's still much uh, better than a hotel i'm not dissing hotels at all but you know you just have more elbow room you have you know a chef's kitchen you have just you know, the space to kind of roam and run around You're pet friendly. And so you're going to pay a premium for that because, you know, to board Fufu, it's going to be quite <laughs> expensive. And so right. and typically they're not traveling with one pet. It's always like two or three. So we're, yeah, we're going to demand a higher price point for it because of course we, we need to clean and sanitize and air purify, you know, for the next guest. But I, I have really uh, gotten laser focused on that avatar because the amount of time it takes us to turn over and to clean and to, you know, take care of a three bedroom, you know, is a similar amount of time for a five bedroom. Why not go a little bit bigger and demand that higher price point?
1: Now with... Um luxury rentals like this, are your um, occupancy rates uh, uh, still high? I mean, you know, 2,500 a night. I mean, that's, whew, that's, that's a, that's a big ticket there. Um, are you able to get up to, you know, the 80, 90% uh, the, the occupancies?
0: Oh, I love that question. So Bill, here's what I found actually, you know, doing this, we started in 2019. So doing this uh, for the past two to three years, My ideal occupancy rate is at about 70%. So 65 to 75% is where I want to stay. If I go above that occupancy rate, I'm now delivering a lesser quality product
1: and I could see that right because you need that sort of between guest time especially if they've got pets and other things you know you, you do have to have a much more intensive I would imagine a much more intensive cleaning effort um, but uh, yeah I would also say too that you know it uh, it wouldn't be as stressful for you too if you if you bump that up too much and you um, you know, and just in terms of managing it, I imagine, you know, if you were to have higher occupancies, that also would be a little bit more demanding on you, I would think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And overall, when we looked at the numbers, the occupancy rates, and uh, and I know, especially for multifamily, uh, we're looking at 100%. No, for me, it's it's different. And it, if, if it was a one-bedroom loft, yes, I would want that 90% occupancy rate, right? So you drive occupancy. But my lever... Uh, that I'm driving is actually uh, daily rate. So my lever is I increase my price, keep my occupancy lower than, you know, others may expect. And and that is our sweet spot for sure.
1: I mean, I would imagine even you know, you're talking about $2,500 a night, if, you know, I mean, that that could be easily a mortgage payment in one night, <laughs> you know, I mean, I Absolutely. don't know. I don't exactly. know if that's, that's a reality with you or not, but I mean, if that, I mean, it gosh, the, the, you get rid of the number one expense right there. Um, it is. Mm-hmm. gee, that's, that's amazing that, I mean, that is, uh, I just say, so you really don't need that many nights and, uh, and, and the profits, I mean, just have to be phenomenal. Um, uh, but you know, the, also the requirement is heavier too. I mean, you've got yeah. probably nicer furniture, so if something does get damaged, um, I know that they, you know, generally the, the the guest would pay if they damaged it. But if it's just something that through wear and tear, what have you, you have to replace it with something nice too. So, so the cost to maintain it, I, I imagine, are are higher, um, just just because it is a luxury rental
0: yeah. and it is a bit higher, but we strive to purchase, say a little bit more sturdier furniture. So, you know, nothing wrong with IKEA, but we wouldn't purchase IKEA furniture to put in these properties. And oftentimes the vendors that we're purchasing from, they have um, you know, guarantees and warranties. So we look at those. We actually uh, that's a big part of our soP. We look closely at those to see if it's something that Ah, uh, we can leverage for sure for replacements.
1: Gotcha. Now, in your materials, you mentioned something called a blue ocean strategy that you utilize. Can you uh, define that and explain how that uh, works for you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the red ocean blue ocean strategy is where, it's like a frenzied feeding, right, in the red oceans. Mm-hmm. And so that's where all of the competition lies. And um, a one-bedroom, a two, a three, even a four-bedroom, uh, the barrier to entry is a little bit us. Uh, Uh, smaller in our our minds, right? The perception is that the barrier of entry is smaller. So uh, the vast majority of individuals who are entering into the short-term rental world, they'll go uh, uh, that route. They'll go a little bit smaller, a little bit more conservative. There's nothing wrong with that. But the competition there, there's over a million, uh, I want to say our Airbnb actually claims they they had over a hundred million stays last year, is what the new earnings report says. So millions and millions of listings. Well, how do we stand out? How are we going to peacock above the fray? How are we going to make ourselves a little bit different? And so it's it's tough when you're uh, in a market where there's so much competition. So our approach again with the luxury is to stand out from the crowd, is to uh, be in a a place. I gotta tell you, in some markets, I'm the only luxury property owner. Wow. And so yeah. So when I look in, in, in certain markets, I'll I'll zoom into five bedroom plus or six bedroom plus, uh host 10, 16, 18. <laughs> and
1: wow. only
0: my properties are popping up. I, I really do not have competition in in this blue ocean. So I'm just kind of free to do what it is that I want to do and, and kind of curate a, a stay that's unique where my guests, they get an opportunity to really um, get to know me as a brand and, and get to have that authentic stay that I work hard to make sure that they're experiencing.
1: Gotcha. So what what is your ideal property in, in terms of number of beds, baths um, in that regard?
0: Five to eight bedroom is my favorite. Uh, Those properties are oftentimes, um, you know, now a lot of people know about short-term rentals, but usually I'm not in a lot of bidding wars (laughs) for those (laughs) properties. So five to eight bedrooms are definitely uh, where I see the ROI being um, pretty significant. And the gross ROI as well as my cash on cash and cap rates are, are higher with my five to eight bedrooms.
1: Right. Right. That's, that's awesome. I noticed you have, okay, you have some that are in sound like a, you know, just a, a regular neighborhood, but then you've got um, properties in the Smokies in more sort of vacation
0: resorts. Yeah. Resorts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm.
1: what percentage of those uh, of your properties are in the sort of the resort areas? Cause that's, that I imagine is a very competitive uh, market.
0: Yeah, about 60% are in vacation resort areas and the other 40% are in neighborhoods. And um, believe it or not, the the ones in the neighborhoods are also crushing uh, because we actually stumbled upon a whole other avatar that we were not necessarily anticipating
1: yeah. And uh, talk to me about that, because I'm, I'm kind of curious, what dynamic do you need for an area or neighborhood specifically that would um, be conducive to those larger rental um, d- demographics? So, I mean, I would think kind of off the top of my head, you know, a university in the area, um, something along those lines. Uh, what 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 uh, what are the you know, the market dynamics that you're looking for?
0: So um, let me tell you a story. This is this is really interesting how we actually stumbled upon this. Uh, so the second home that we purchased, it was being rented out as a long-term rental for $1,800 a night. And uh, we put in about $30,000 worth of renovations, you know, lipstick, pretty much carpet, uh, updated flooring, paint, updated the ceilings, flattened that, that out. Uh, so... Um, $30,000, not too bad. Right? right. Uh, the, the house cost 462 K, which is, you know, for me, it was like, Oh, that's a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but $1,800 was long-term rental rate. And so dare I say, uh, I added a dynamic pricing tool uh, to the listings after I, I placed it online. For that first month, I said I just wanted to rent it out for 30 nights uh, until I can build out the cleaning team. I wanted to have a backup to my cleaning team, and so I. Uh, listed it for a 30-night minimum, turned on my dynamic pricing tool, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, from $1,800, wouldn't it be amazing for it to rent for something like $6,000, <laughs> oh, right? $1,800 a month, wouldn't it be amazing for it to rent for $6,000 a month, you know, just still really starting out, very new. And then I thought to myself, wow, looking at the numbers, I was like, wow, it can probably demand $8,000 uh, a month, which was insane. But then I finally, alas, I turn on the dynamic pricing tool. And one thing that you need to know about algorithms and pricing tools, you, you do need to train it and to update it, to make sure it's doing the right thing. The first uh, few swings, they're going to miss the mark, but then you train it. So when I turned it on bill, it listed the property for 30 nights at $28,000. <laughs>
1: oh my Goodness, twenty eight thousand a month. Yes, that is for thirty nights. Crazy, and you got it, and you got it.
0: Well, I thought no, that that's certainly wrong. There's no way, you know, that's ridiculous. And then it got booked.
1: No way.
0: That month for 28K and it's dynamic, right? So the next month for 15K, the next month for 22K, the next month for 21K. And here I am with my <sighs> little girl from Haiti mindset thinking about $8,000 a month or you know, at the most, 10,000 would be a dream. The dynamic pricing tool came in with no self limiting beliefs, no prejudices, just looked around the market, realized what occupancy was looking like, realized what events were coming in, and bam, 28K. And so it was a, a family uh, of four, fam- no, family of three, husband, wife, and a child, and a nanny that rented it out the first month. Uh, they were the executive directors of a major movie now you know george is now y'all oh, yeah, would, right. would have out. <laughs>
1: y'all yeah
0: really it. six six-bedroom. I don't know why they needed all that, but they 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 booked it. And then the following month, uh, here's the new avatar. And I'm going to leave this for your audience here. We're going to set it right here and drop the gems. The second avatar was actually the insurance companies. Um, Allstate reached out. There's a family, unfortunately, whose home burnt down. They're a larger family and they need a place just like ours. And they paid a premium for it. The next month, it was State Farm and then Progressive. And so, We're kind of on the insurance circuit uh, because, (laughs) you know, we're the only thing in town this size that could provide accommodations for a larger family. Otherwise, I spoke with one of the moms and she said, imagine cooking for a family of 10 at a hotel, you know, and this is family that was living in a a 11,000 square foot estate, Uh, this property was, uh, I want to say 6,000 square feet, which is quite large, but not as large as theirs. But the insurers wanting to keep them as close as possible to their standard of living, uh, my property fit the bill for that. And our properties continue to fit the bill
1: for these insurance companies. Wow. Now, how could you... As you're looking for new properties, I mean, how can you find an area that that would repeat that? I mean, uh, is it is it even feasible? I mean, you kind of went into it not really knowing and then, boom, you know, you got hit. Do you know now enough about how to pick another property that would have that same dynamic?
0: Yeah. And so here's how it works. Um. Actually, I have um, in my coaching mentorship, I have a student in Texas who's doing the same thing right now. I'm I'm in Georgia. She's in Texas. Unfortunately, Bill, disasters happen to homes all the time. I didn't realize that. Homes are burning down. Homes are catching, um, are getting flooded due to a major plumbing issue. Flooring needs to be removed. Um, And and it happens more often than you would think. It's just coming to the forefront of my mind now because I get so many inquiries from uh, housing specialists, and they're finding me on Airbnb. And so here's the deal: if the um, home, the housing specialist is looking for a two or three bedroom, they could easily find that in an apartment, a corporate housing situation apartment. They can furnish it, uh, lease it out for four months. Uh, one of our guests actually they signed a, a contract for for thirty days. They were with us, Bill, for. A year, eleven months. Actually, they were with us for eleven months because it takes that long to renovate and get that home, you know, back to what, the way it needs to be. So it it's uncanny. But anything above a four bedroom in a good, um, I would say, a, a neighborhood that has you know great schools, uh, where the cost of living is a little bit higher. Uh, is where I would want to duplicate it. So if I'm looking for uh, a new neighborhood to break into, of course you have to know your regulations. Make sure your regulations allow for, you know, less than uh, a one year stay, thirty nights, uh, even less if needed. But once you have ironed that out, I. I would look for anything that's a, a four-bedroom or above, because if it's anything less than a four-bedroom, they could easily find those com- uh, accommodations in a multifamily uh, residential unit where they can furnish it themselves.
1: God, that's uh, that's amazing. That's <laughs> I'm just kind of just I don't know what else to say. Uh, that is <laughs> what a niche you have found. It's just uh, fascinating. This concludes part one of this podcast series. Stay tuned for the exciting conclusion this coming Monday. Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.